That's how it starts. The fever, the rage, the feeling of powerlessness that turns good men cruel. Welcome, I'm Andrew Dice. And I'm Stephen Colbert. And this is Batman v Superman by the Minute, a podcast rewatching and discussing Batman v Superman one single minute at a time. We begin minute 102, a particularly gross minute, as in minute 101, we came to the final seconds of Lex slashing his hand with a knife over top of Zod's corpse, and minute 102 begins with ew, 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 ew. You flew too close to the sun. Now look at you. Advising. Action forbidden. It has been decreed by the Council of Krypton that none will ever again give life to a deformity so hateful to sight and memory. The desecration without name. I have to remind myself that this is gross. It's so very clearly not Michael Shannon. Like, it's, you know... It's very clearly a fake corpse. I'm aware it's a fake corpse. So seeing his blood dripping on it is only so gross. But then when I think about this in terms of the plot, this is so creepy. Like, obviously, we've discussed that Lex, you know, zero hesitation in going to, uh, like, amniotic fluid pool, um, which is gnarly. But just in describing the actual scene that happens, he drips the blood on it, adding to the creep factor is the unidentified Kryptonian thing swimming by underneath. We are in horror town. Like this has now become, you know, this is gooey Frankenstein mess. And I guess picking up, just to get this all out of the way, picking up from Carly Gugino informing us that the Kryptonian pool had detected the body of Zod. It now detects the presence of foreign genetic material. And that is kind of our first clue that Lex is doing something that he knows about from his, uh, you know, teach me in yeah. front of the, the, we don't know what it is yet, but we know that it's something. And yeah, we're going to find out it's very gnarly, very quick. Yeah. And I think that I don't have an exact answer. And maybe if I did some more research, I, I could find one, but I don't know if it's a, one of those false positives. But to me, that dripping blood on the face is such a deliberate, it's one of those moments that says like, this means something. Yeah, totally. And so and so I did a little bit of looking and there's no like seemingly clear cut when blood drips on a face, this is what it represents. But I think there are a few sort of interesting a few interesting things about that. One of which is that blood is a is like a big fertility symbol. And so the idea of like a a, a rebirth, like a twisted rebirth here is interesting. And then also hunters will like smear blood on like new hunters' faces as like a, a sort of initiation. Yep. Gotta get blooded up. Yep. And then um one of the, the the sort of more interesting ones also though is the the potential like watchman kind of reference or inversion, which he doesn't exactly have a smiley face, but he does drip the blood like into the frown crease <laughs> on his face, which is so gross, but also like specific that it feels like a if not a a reference, a, a sort of inversion of the joke of of the the Watchmen pin, like the the irony of the Watchmen pin, that which I think is kind of interesting. On one hand, the most powerful Kryptonian, like literally the guy that tried to bring down Krypton, the government, him being killed by Superman 
and now Lex Luthor is dripping his blood on his corpse. Lex is obviously making a point, and Lex is a flex of sorts, to, for, for lack of a better word. He's, he's forging the most intimate, unknowable connection he possibly can with this corpse. If you said any, any dead character and another character cuts themselves to bleed on their body, I don't know what that means, but that sure means something. And in this case, it is, well, th there's what Lex intends it to mean, because Lex could do all of this stuff if he's pursuing the, the plan that he ultimately is without being so dang creepy about it. You know, this is where he says, you flew too close to the sun. So he's obviously making this a moment for himself of some kind of, if not a fatherly role, like a passing on his essence, you know, like the blood mm -hmm. of gods hits the ocean and creates Aphrodite. Like it is, it is touching this idea of a greater essence that transcends life and death, merging the two of them too. Yeah. Well, and he's a little, it's blood and water, which is, you know, two symbolic things. And also like the, the fact that like blood and water separate, but now he's like bringing them together. It's like the inversion of, of death. Yeah. So I think there's, I don't, I don't know if there's any one specific, like, this means this very specific thing so much as just the the essence of a variety of things kind of feeding into this. Yeah, and if we're setting – because this is a Zack Snyder movie and this is part of a larger story. If a dead Kryptonian is pulled into the birth chamber to be restored uh, when it's Superman, this is not to restore. This is to create. As – as the computer voice continues telling us that this action that Lex is taking is forbidden, we don't know, we didn't know this was an action intentionally, but he clearly does from learning from the computer that the Council of Krypton has decreed no one will ever again give life to a deformity so hateful to sight and memory, the desecration without name. The combination of, I mean, the most literal sense is that, and it kind of fits with what we saw of Krypton. And, and Kryptonians, this is not a far cry to say that the merging of Kryptonian genetic material with another species, even one that is, for all intents and purposes, basically identical, is an abomination. Like, yeah. that fits philosophically, so it makes sense in the world that we're playing in here with Zack Snyder's story that it both is philosophically and ethically to them an abomination, and that is going to actually materialize it is going to be a literal abomination. Yeah. A, monst a monstrosity. There's also the way you could read it that car there's a, a period after deformity um, because we know that Kryptonians do not mate naturally. Mm -hmm. No deformities are allowed because children are not grown in a way that they can be. You could say the Kryptonian Council has decreed that no one will ever again give life to a deformity, period. So hateful to say, this is all fits. I mean, <laughs> but the point is Lex is creating something and he overrules. Important to note, he is overruled as himself, not as Zod. He used Zod to gain access, but he wants this all to himself. He wants that computer saying Alexander Luther. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we don't know what he's been doing, but obviously he's learned either from the computer or, or from other studies about what he's like this is such a specific thing that he's doing it's not like he's just oh i wonder what happens if i drip blood on him like <laughs> yeah um, right because we remember last we saw him in here he's like teach me um and so and the fact that it's referring to him as like himself and i i've got a suspicion that he is hacked or conditioned or what a, he's he has established himself as the authority yeah and he you know he doesn't he no longer has to use zod's fingerprints to override the um 
the fail safes or whatever on the ship, he his word is enough to make because of course because of course he did right right like he found a way to make it so that this was all him. It's also okay. Obviously, doubling down on the fact that this is a specific thing that is that exists in Kryptonian genetic history. He overrides and the computer says like, okay, fine, we're forming the chrysalis and beginning the metamorphosis. So we are going to use the genetic material of the dead Zod and the blood offered by Lex to create something alive. This chamber was built to make living things out of genetic material. Now we're going to do it with this. I don't know if you're familiar with this, Stephen, but according to some hidden things on the Man of Steel DVD, uh, it is <laughs> it is revealed that the original deformity and abomination was created by Bertrand, was named Doomsday. I don't know how canonical people want to get with that, but in the larger, let's say, marketing lore of the DCEU, Bertrand creating one of these things in Krypton's ancient past is what ended up actually detonating that moon, Wegthor. Well, and there is a there's an Easter egg of that in Man of Steel. There is yes. a cracked a cracked moon that Zack said in the commentary is because of Doomsday. Wegthor. And we we if you thought, well how in the heck would Doomsday possibly detonate a moon, this movie's going to answer that question very vividly. You are going to find out if you are wondering why the Council of Krypton decided that never again would anyone create this. <laughs> yeah. We will learn over the course of the movie. Well, and in a similarly interesting combination of vague Easter eggs and comic lore, we talked about um, we talked about Brainiac a little bit in the last minute, and there's a very clear Brainiac Easter egg in Man of Steel on the bottom of, I think it's, is, is it the world engine or is it? One of the is it of the ship? Yeah, it's the Black Zero. Well, and even the thing that opens up the portal, the Phantom Zone, is those three dots. Yeah, and so, so the idea that, um, and I'm not as familiar with all the iterations of comic lore, but I know like in Superman the animated series, Brainiac is the Kryptonian AI that Jor El works with, and so. And then I know that's similar to different iterations. Created by Kryptonians to insert. And so once again, so the fact that that symbol, it, we've got, you know, Bertrand is in the in the, the mythos here. Yep. And then you've got references to Brainiac. And then you've also got like the tentacles and the other stuff going on. And then you even look at stuff like the glowing orbs in the pool here. It doesn't have like the three, but it still kind of very much has that. And then you combine that with like, um, I, there's some really cool concept art from uh, Christian Lorenz Scherer for BVS that shows kind of the, the process, chrysalis. the chrysalis process, which it, it doesn't look exactly the way it looks in this movie. But what I find is really interesting about that is that these tentacles drop down from the ceiling that pick up Zod like we see in this movie. And it, it describes the process of the, the tendrils lower down and um, in the Genesis chamber and amniotic bubbles form on the tips of the tendrils. And it basically reforms like the, the amniotic sacs that we see that all the Kryptonians are born in. But for whatever reason, because Zod doesn't have the codex or because of the blood, this is creating a deformity. Interestingly, in those, those tentacles look kind of similar to like what we saw design-wise from like the... That, that Superman was fighting in Man of Steel, which also resemble, there's like a techno-organic thing going on here that also resembles Brainiac. And then you see in these images, it goes through and it says like, Zod's cadaver is lifted out of the bottom. Uh, 
uh, of the what of the pool of the damaged Genesis chamber, and tendrils start to plug into his body, especially the heart and lung area. But what's interesting about if you look at this image is that the all these tendrils are connecting into his head, and there's two of them that connect up on his like on his pecs, and the the places that it is connecting is very similar to where. Brainiac is traditionally shown to have all these connections on his body. Obviously, he's not becoming Brainiac. But we're like bring, three quarters of the way to well, and knowing what this in, Brainiac is. Right. Well, and once you bring in like Doomsday into the story here, Brainiac tried to, because, to use Doomsday's body to like, it's like the Matrix where he like is a <laughs> software program and uploads into. Yeah, yeah. And so like in the comics, he tried to do that with a Doomsday. So whether that happened in the past or could like all of the the tools are here, and we know that Zach talked about the idea of Brainiac for like Man of Steel two. It was a character that a lot of people think that he would do really well with. Um, but this concept art, especially, I think, shows whether or not it, they they literally take the Doomsday idea, or if they um um they could he the Genesis Chamber. Like if the if Brainiac AI is on the ship in any way, it could take any body. And 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 try to and do this to it to upload his consciousness so into Jimmy a body. Jimmy Olsen was going to be Zack as, Snyder's <laughs> Brainiac, yeah, the corpse right. of Jimmy Olsen. Michael Cassidy reanimated. Exactly. Or wow. um or or you know maybe maybe they there was weird plans for like Scoot McNary being like Metallo at one point. I oh, mean, maybe. right. Yeah, I saw. Yeah. Um. And so there's all sorts of like. You know, and, and and this isn't part of the known plan, and it's not part of like like when you talk about like Zach's five part arc. Yeah, this is he had all of this. He had all this stuff planned out that didn't necessarily, I don't think, would have translated into like we see this in a movie so much as Zach likes the idea of being like, oh yeah, Brainiac was in Superman's future. No, he's not gonna. He had no plans necessarily. Maybe who knows to to make or tell that story so much as to him a fully realized world would include. In the same right. way that, like, he's not, he said that if he makes the the Batman return, um, Dark Knight Returns movie that he wants to make, that he wouldn't make it with Affleck and Cavill because it exists in a different continuity. However, uh, DJ Desjardin and Brian Hirota and some of the VFX guys said that in Zack Snyder's Justice League at the end, when you see the, um, the mutants are chained up by the the war machine tank that that was kind of teasing the beginning of what would eventually lead to the events of the dark knight returns um once again not because they're looking at actually creating that story in this continuity but because to zach that is what a fully fleshed out world means right like the, like the superman story is not going to end regardless of whether or not he ends it or the story is told on screen. This is a living world where all of these characters and events exist. So why not have the seeds of Brainiac, even if he's not going to necessarily pay it off. But regardless, it's just a really interesting rabbit hole to go down and finding this concept art really kind of opened that to be like, wow, that's like, there's like a lot of like pretty explicit, like all of the material they need to, like a man of steel too easily could have taken this exact same thing and been like, if they wanted to do a, a, a brainiac man of steel too, like it was mentioned at one point, they already have all the tools here to be like, Oh yeah, this is how brainiac is introduced. Like they don't need to go back and do all this backstory. They've already got it introduced with world building here. I, I want to call out because I, it only stood out to me on close rewatching 
that the tentacles, well, I don't know what the word would be, but they almost puppet Zod's body. They take him from in a prone position to seated and l- leaning over in front. Uh, yeah. And well, that once is such again. a, I mean, that's such a disturbing thing to look at. And I think I will call that out here for the purposes of this rewatch and of our listeners who have different levels of, of uh, just amount of time that they've done noting this stuff or thinking about it, that, well, yeah, <laughs> that um, this is, okay, the corpse of General Zod is being reanimated into Doomsday. We don't know that he's going to become Doomsday, but we know that it, it, I, I feel like so much is, is skipped over there. The villain of the previous movie, the other last son of Krypton who killed Jor-El, who tried to kill Kal-El, I will find him, Lara. It doesn't matter how long it takes. I will find him. He has been killed and his body has now been taken, brought back into a Kryptonian birthing chamber combined with the blood of Lex Luthor and is now going to be regrown into a desecration without name. The question I think that everyone should be asking is, is this Zod coming back? Like, is, is that what's happening here? Is how much of Zod is going to actually be in the thing that comes back? And that yeah. is a really cool thing to think about as we get later into the movie with stuff that I don't want to spoil yet, um, because it's <laughs> cool to talk about at the time. I'm sure everyone knows what you're talking about, though. Yep. But uh, but for those who don't, oh, man, strap in. Um, <laughs> but but that is a cool idea. And I think that the decision to have – it isn't like the thing forms around him. The, this machine takes the body of Zod and puppets him as if he were still a person. Mm-hmm. And, and then wraps around him and says the metamorphosis is beginning. It's not reanimation, regeneration, any of that stuff the chrysalis is forming and the metamorphosis is beginning. So the character that Zod was and everything that Zod encapsulated to be discussed at a later date in Man of Steel by the minute is in the view of the Kryptonian computer still existent. The words they are using are chrysalis and metamorphosis. So we are going to take him and make him into something else. Big black, you know, like put that in big block letters, period. That is what we are dealing with when we are dealing with whatever is going to come out of this pod. This is what Mm -hmm. Lex is making. With that said, I do want to circle back to something that sticks out for me because of my like classics education is obviously you flew too close to the sun is a very Lex thing to say (laughs) (laughs) and credit to, you know, Jesse Eisenberg, Chris Terrio, Zack Snyder for, for the execution of this. But that's, I feel like that's obviously a reference to Icarus, uh, even if people don't know the whole story, they get that reference and what it means. Uh, you flew too close to the sun on wings of wax and feathers and it melted. But I think the it ends up becoming known as a myth for being too ambitious and losing your caution. And this is like, you can list all of the different myths that end up having this one point of you had wings to fly and you went too high or the wings fell apart or the wings got too close to the sun, yada, yada. But the Myth of Icarus, which is referencing here, and this is obviously what this movie is calling on, you know, left and right, is Icarus was following his father, Daedalus, and Daedalus made the wings and said, don't fly too high 
or your wings will melt. Don't fly too low or the sea will wet the feathers. You have to fly in between. Follow me. Forgot the warning. Was excited to be able to fly. Flew into the sky. Flew high. Enjoyed it. And then fell to his death. While I won't strain a parallel or an analogy there, I certainly won't claim that Icarus realizing what it feels like to fly was his own first flight to the same degree of the Washington Monument being a kryptonite spear. But I think that it it makes sense to just enjoy the illusion being made by Lex is yet another reference to a father and son. Interesting. A son following the father's example and failing to. What more of an impossible task could be outlined for Superman himself here, right? Is just just do exactly the right thing and, and you'll follow me and my plan and it will all be great. And then, oh my God, are you kidding me? You, you strayed from the path the littlest bit? You flew too high? Died? That's what happens when you're playing in this pool of like myths um, that Snyder enjoys doing is you end up with all of these echoes and parallels because we've talked about it. I mean, this is... This is Bruce following his father's example, Clark trying to follow both of his father's examples. The son becomes the father, Yeah, and, and Lex, the father uh, becomes the son. The fact that Lex, you know, is he giving that warning to Zod because he doesn't have that? He's the only person who's able to say, to have that perspective? I don't know. We don't know much about Zod's father. We only know about Zod and Jor-El. Well, Zod was made defend Krypton. Well, right. he was doing what he thought was right. Does he ha- like like Superman has a father? Does Zod have a father? But I just I I really like that story and the Daedalus part of it and the actual don't do one side too much, don't do the other too much. Just be a guy trying to do the right thing and yeah. follow your dad. Yeah, really rich. I enjoy that. Obviously, I don't think Lex, <laughs> you flew too close uh-huh. to the sun, is maybe um. Maybe that's not how he means it, but we abandoned that limitation 89 minutes ago. Part of why I brought up the the other Superman quote, the, the son becomes the father and the father becomes the son, because in a way here, like we know that Lex is rejected, like simultaneously rejected, but also is still pursuing like his own father. He's trying to supersede his father or, or replace him, be better than him, whatever. But then also, in a way, he is making Zod into his own son in blood of my blood in this moment. And so, yeah, and so he is almost inverting the the story of Icarus here and being like, you flew too too close to the sun, but like now you will have another chance. Just follow me. Ugh, yeah. And I mean, if we say that this reflects Superman's journey, like he is going to die. Yeah. So. This is like the, I'm, I'm seeing the English lit essay, uh, you know, Batman v Superman, Clark is in the labyrinth or, or <laughs> if you didn't know it before, you do now. Yeah. Well, everybody knows the quote, but who, who knows the uh, origination? I do think it's interesting that like Lex flinches when he cuts himself, but it's really interesting that he, he sort of tears up, but then as the ship is sort of saying the whole like never again, he has tears like streaming down his face and he breathes, but it's not, it looks like it initially, it looks like it's in reaction to the pain. But as the scene kind of goes on, like he doesn't seem to be as concerned about his hand. It's like implying that he has like overcome with, I'm I'm not even sure what, but like his own <laughs> greatness or something like there's a, 
he's very emotional about this. It's not just tears from the pain. It's it's him being caught up in the moment in a twisted way. When he gave that speech about recognizing that he is not powerful, maybe he's realizing what he is actually doing, like what he is going to unleash, mm-hmm. create this colossal disaster for Krypton's moon. Then maybe he's realizing I have crossed a line. Power and power can be innocent. He he stepped over the line, but now he is like obliterating the line. I am next level villain. Yeah, or he or he feels more powerful than he has ever felt in this moment because he is creating life in what he thinks is his own image. Now let's move from me bringing up the impossible task of splitting the difference between too high, too low, and doing everything just right. We cut from Lex. To the newsroom of the Daily Planet as Jenny prepares her copy, saying, is Superman complicit in the bombing of the U.S. Capitol? I mean, we're going to get a lot more pointed accusations about Superman in the next minute. I'll never forgive Dana Bash. I'll just say that for now. (laughs) Jenny is making the connection in maybe the most level-headed way that you could, which is you would, I mean, while she's basically also voicing countless bloggers rotten tomatoes reviews saying obviously he could have stopped this i don't know how you stop a bomb from going off but uh, obviously could have and he was there and he didn't so does that make him complicit in what happened i feel like she's reading this to someone because she started off by saying this seems dumb superman is clearly he was helping people and he's not a monster but yeah while the camera floats over to perry white noticing what is happening and says to Lois, still no Kent? And she says no, and the minute ends. And this is, if we were waiting for confirmation that Perry White knows. Yeah, he's concerned because he know like... This is the most concerned that we've ever seen Perry. Yeah, he's not like, like of all the times he's not like, where is that guy? He's like, I hope he's okay. Because he knows. Like, I'm, fu- yeah, I'm full yeah. on team Perry knows if we haven't established that already. Like, <laughs> watching it with our conversations fresh in my mind, I think he knows... But like Lois hilariously thinks that he might not Mm -hmm. with the way that she says, no. Well, but also, and we'll get into this, you know, maybe not not like definitely more later in the movie as well, but they have a little bit of an unspoken understanding about this. I think that they lean on a little bit as we, as we go on where even if they know that each other know, they will never speak it openly to each other. Like she knows, like she may know what he's asking here. And, and but she will speak in in ignorant code and he will ignorantly feign ignorance in his uh, but yeah I think the fact that he's not like Kent of all times where did he he click his heels and go off to Kansas again or whatever you know where's my copy he like he's not he knows why he's not here but Kent wasn't you know Kent wasn't Lois was at the site of the bombing right like why is he worried about Kent yeah like yeah. Kent has nothing to do with this other than he was he's Superman. So, yeah. <laughs> and uh, credit to a reporter, I guess, uh, is still at heart. Was Superman complicit? If he's not here to explain, then people are going to come to their own conclusions. Still no Kent. Both sides of him have left the building. And as Lois says, no, that is the end of our minute. <sighs> Just sad stuff. Um, but we're heading, speaking of sad stuff, the next minutes are really going to be digging into it. But yeah, I I was happy to, uh, I know that this minute seems like it's kind of like lore exposition, maybe a little bit, and then like plot stuff. But 
I think we did again another ridiculous job of of plumbing the depths of this. Yeah, well, and I mean, you may say exposition because we did a whole lot of talking about it, but I it was not very expositiony at all. I mean, so much of this is visually and like the 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 implications of like Lex taking over the ship is is something that you have to kind of imply from the fact that it's following his commands. It's not like he said like now that I have like exposition would be now that I have control over the ship, I would like you to execute my further commands and begin <laughs> creation of the yeah, monstrosity. They're keeping us in like, the dark, hey? <laughs> yeah. If you didn't know Doomsday was coming and you heard this computer say, you know, this abomination, like a, a desecration without name, a deformity, you'd be sitting there going like, what are they doing with Zod? He's, his blood? Like, are they going to create some Lex? Is this going to be like a Superboy? weird kryptonian clone we'll have to wait and see where we're at with zod at minute 102 of man of steel because in bvs he is once again planning even if he's not like mentally or whatever yeah the zod plan is percolating that is where we will end it for minute 102 i'm assuming you don't have anything else we once again thank everyone for (laughs) listening at us droning on about the subtext at this point this is what you're here for so if you know someone else who might be here for that Please recommend the podcast, compliment us on on iTunes uh, with a review, claiming that we can pull the, the most brilliant of pearls from the most disgusting of amniotic chambers. <laughs> if you want to be complicit in our doing so, you can support our podcasts at patreon.com slash Snyder Minute at BVS by the minute or at Snyder Minute and join us as we enter minute 103. I think it's perfect that following this, we, like Clark, have to go off and take a long, hard think about what we've done. You know, in a way, we are Lex slicing our hand open over all of our patrons.